0: Well, somewhere last week I seemed to have picked up a cold along the way and been struggling with that this last week. So we're taking a break from 1 Corinthians, um, despite what uh, our, our bulletin says. Um, we'll pick up there next week where we left off. This morning we still have yet a wonderful word from our wonderful Lord. So if you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. I'll be reading uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Uh, But before we hear from the Lord, let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pray as we come to you this morning again to hear from you. We ask let the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We confess, dear Lord, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And we ask... Father, give us a great appetite for this Your Word, that it may nourish our souls this morning in the ways of life, to Your glory. We ask this all through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 21 to the end of the chapter deal with these uh, two, two events are going on. Uh, Jairus's daughter... Right, This um, man named Jairus, his daughter is ill. She is dying. And there's this crowd following Jesus. Um, but he's on, when he's on his way, I want to pick up in verse 24. And we have this issue of this woman, uh, this suffering woman with this uh, flow of blood. So pick up uh, with me Mark 5, chapter 24. The first paragraph there. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our Lord. To see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So far, the reading of God's word. And he had his blessing to it. As a title for this, sermon for this section. It is fitting, it is about the satisfaction of the Savior for the suffering and surrendered soul. The satisfaction of the Savior for the suffering and surrendered soul. As I have mentioned, after a hard week, it's absolutely wonderful to be back to worship the Lord with you all this Lord's day. In our Corinthian study, we've been seeing and noticing that we uh, that in the Greco-Roman world it was full of idols, full of false gods. And if you've done any study of uh, Roman mythology or history, you know that the first month of the year is named after the Roman god Janus. Why is that? Because this is the month that when, we, when many look back to the year, that as, as it comes to a close and look forward to the coming year that is before us. January, named for the Roman god Janus their mythological God, the God who looks both ways. In this image of this face looking both ways is seen on many gates and doorways and coins of that period. In fact, there used to be, a—I think it was a financial institution uh, that had this Janus as its, uh, as its kind of motto or logo. As Christians, we know that the God who looks both ways, Janus, is as equally inadequate as he is mythological. As Christians, we know the falsity of Roman mythology. We know that ours is not merely a God who looks forward and backwards, right a horizontal God, but the true and the living God is a vertical God. A vertical God. A God looking down, coming down, entering into time and history and accomplishing redemption for His people. As we look at this passage before us this morning, I want us to see that this God the true Lord of the universe is one who altogether wipes away not just the superstitions of man, man-made mythological gods, but we'll see that this God, he also wipes away the types and the shadows of the system that he set up in redemptive history and fulfilling them in time. And we see, we will see here that because Jesus has come in power and mercy and love, We can look fully to Him and let go of the types and shadows. And we can rest fully in Him, whole, healed, and holy if you belong to Him. We see in this text the person, the power, and the purity of Jesus Christ and the response of that surrendered soul to the Savior. We'll see here as an outline, again, apologies, not the one in your bulletin, but as we walk through this, we see the woman's shameful condition. Number one, the woman's shameful condition. And then number two, we'll look at her shameless flee. And then finally, thirdly, we see the Savior's shalom cleansing. So her shameful condition, her shameless flee, and then the Savior's shalom cleansing. When I was in seminary serving an internship, we had the opportunity to meet regularly with a group of elderly folks at a retirement home as a way to minister to them. We would sing hymns and we would bring a message from God's Word to them. And while it was glorious, in many ways to see them delight and connect with familiar hymns and God's comforting Word, seeing them and being with them does bring to home just a little bit of the suffering that can come upon us when we grow older. When we have physical sickness and mental illness and sadly abandonment in old age. They would confide in us. They would tell me things like no one comes to see us. We're like a bunch of lepers. Our relatives don't even want to touch us. One of them said it's like a dying torture." Something of the brutality of abandonment in these situations. I know that many of you know what it is to suffer as well. We don't all experience the same degree of suffering, but we all to some extent know something of the torment of being abandoned, if not physically, then emotionally or relationally. The general lack of peace from life in a broken world permeated with sin. We similarly know the deep yearning and the longing for reconciling peace. For the peace, the shalom that comes ultimately, not horizontally, but vertically. Between our Lord, vertically from the Lord. The shalom of the Lord, the peace. Certainly this woman from Mark's gospel knew what it was to experience suffering. Years of suffering, severe suffering. And So let's look first at this woman's context her shameful condition, her shameful condition. We read in the text about this woman that she had a condition of physical ailments, some kind of blood flow or hemorrhage for 12 years, 12 long years. That's a very long time, and it's a very specific kind of problem. And it had very specific ramifications for this woman. The condition affected her physically, financially, religiously, relationally, According to the Old Testament regulations, the Levitical laws, as a result of her condition, she was rendered unclean. She was unclean. Leviticus 15 lays that out in detail. So she was unclean ceremonially. She was not permitted to enter the temple for worship with God's people. And she also could not go into public without notifying to everyone that she was unclean. So, they would have been careful not to be contaminated by this woman. And so, not only was she polluted, but she was polluting as well. Everyone she came in contact with and everything that she touched was contaminated and made unclean. The impurity of the person was transferred to the clothes of the person as well. Again, you can read about this in Leviticus 15 and Leviticus 17. But purity and cleanliness, or cleanness, not cleanliness, cleanness and purity was required for what? To emphasize the state of the one who came to worship. And the one who came before the Lord needed to be in the right condition to do so. In those Levitical codes, the holiness codes as they're referred to as, regarding ritual purity and cleanness was the means that God established to what? To approximate purity on an earthly level for a time. And God is holy. Steps must be taken to make a person even minimally, typologically, pure and clean if they're to enter in to his worship. These things, though, could never accomplish total, perfect purity. It all pointed to man's inability to deal with his own dirtiness, his own spiritual unfitness. The type could never fully accomplish this. We know this as well from uh, places like Hebrews 8, verses 6 and 7, where the author of Hebrews says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is a better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Then in verse 13, he says, In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to vanish away. So this woman in Mark's gospel was ritually and religiously devastated. We look at other sources uh, historically, the Jewish oral tradition, the Mishnah was recorded over time, and it had extended discussion. Of women, of people in the specific condition of this woman that we read about in Mark. And this is important because it further explains her status. These writings describe her condition. A person like her is called a zabah, is what it's called, zabah. And the zabah needed to be needed to meet the restrictions of Leviticus 15. Further, these writings instructed a person like this a zabah. How to regulate their lives rightly. And the point is that it was a known condition. It was a known condition. There were social requirements to be met as well as ceremonial, religious requirements that need to be met. This woman would have been known as a dirty woman and a dirtying woman. She suffered not only religiously, but socially as well. Uh, we know from other uh, Jewish sources something of what it meant that she suffered much under many physicians. I know I have suffered much under many physicians. And you may know what it's like to spend a lot of money going to a lot of doctors, all to no avail. And it doesn't take long to realize that there are many things the doctor simply cannot fix. The physicians this woman would have been exposed to are not like our physicians. They were probably more something akin to snake oil or oil peddlers, or magic potion distributors. The Talmud describes some of these medical treatments. These are quite quite curious, and we're happy that we don't, these aren't prescribed to us this day, in our day, but some of the medical treatments that were prescribed were, for example, one, drinking wine mixed with rubber and flowers, right? Or another was special incantations that they would have them say. My favorite is uh, one that I came across Uh, was that they would have to carry ostrich, egg, ashes in a special cloth next to their body in an effort to heal them. So we see this woman is in a desperate condition. A desperate condition. She is suffering with this medical condition, ostracized from the people of God for worship and from society, spent all that she had, and the text says what? She's only worse for it. She's only worse for it. She is devastated, again, religiously, relationally, physically, and financially. Can you feel for this woman? Can you feel for this desperate, surrendered soul? Broken and worsening, without hope in the world. Broken, suffering, and surrendered. And this is all vitally significant because we know from verse 24, Mark chapter 5, it says this, that a great crowd followed him and thronged about Jesus. And I wonder when the last time it was that you used in your day-to-day uh, discourse the word thronged. It's not a word that we, uh, that we use very often. It's not a common word. But it's a word that means pressed around, pressing in. The great crowd was pressing pressing in upon Jesus. And this suffering, surrendered woman hears about The Savior. And she, in this shameful condition, hears about Him and flees to Him. And in this great, crushing crowd, she seeks the Savior. And in doing so, what does she do? She touches and defiles, she makes unclean many, many people. This woman enters into this crowd of pushing people, this thronging crowd, and she goes in faith that she will be healed. We don't know exactly the extent of her understanding of all these things. Was she mixing what she had heard, the reports she heard about Jesus, with whatever other superstitions she may have believed or picked up along the way from whomever, perhaps these physicians? We don't know for sure. But we know because the text tells us she had faith. She had faith. She is a surrendered soul in a shameful condition That makes a shameless flee to Jesus. And that's our second point. A shameless flee. And notice what she does. She even attempts to be secret and anonymous in her flee at first. She thinks she can just work through the crowd and be healed. But notice there is a sneakiness about what she tries to do. But it is a sneaky boldness. She is bold to risk being found out. And so blatantly risk acting in such a socially unacceptable manner. You see, she is trying to be secretive, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is her getting to Jesus, reaching out with her hand and touching that robe of His. And this unclean, suffering woman hears of Jesus, and she goes to Him in faith, faith that He will heal her, that He will save her. Verse 28 says, even if I only touch his garment, I'll be saved. So this is exactly what she does. She goes, she presses through, she comes behind him, she touches his garment. What does it say? Immediately she was healed of her disease. And Jesus turns and asks, who touched my garment? He asks, and in asking, he exposes her and he confronts her. Remember, she's made many, many in this crowd, this crushing crowd, unclean, including, we would assume, Christ, by touching them. She is that unclean lady. Can you imagine in this confrontation of Jesus when he asks and he calls her out, the shame and embarrassment, the weight of the law bearing down on her. She's exposed. The excluded, dirtying woman is now found out. Her faith mixed with some kind of superstition, she would would be healed by the touch of someone's robe. Think of her experience. For 12 years, simply a touch by her to something else or someone else. and She transfers her uncleanness to that person or to that thing. Why not the other way around in her mind? And in fact, this kind of thinking did exist. But to think that she would have done this anonymously. We're told in verse 31, almost so we don't miss it, the disciples say, all this crowd pressing around you, and you ask, who touched me? What do you mean, Jesus? Everyone's touching you. And then look again at verse 33. This woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And in response to the Lord, she comes to him in fear and trembling and confession and gratitude. There is a shameless flee to the one who alone will save her. There is an appropriate, shameless disregard for anything else No other factor is relevant. Nothing else is more important enough to keep her away from going to Christ. No fear. No fear of the people. Nothing. There is a shameless drive within the sin-sick, salvation-starved soul to get to the Savior for the sweet healing that is found only in the great physician of souls, Jesus Christ. And in the same way, the response of you and I and every sin-stained soul when hearing of Jesus is to flee shamelessly, uninhibited, to Jesus. Even with our shaky and imperfect faith. And we praise Him. Notice the Lord's response to her in verse 34. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, healed of your disease. And after calling her out, right, he doesn't call her generically woman, but lovingly daughter, daughter. And see finally from this shameful condition to her shameless flee to Christ, she now receives from the Savior shalom, right, peace. Peace. And it is a shalom cleansing, a sweet shalom peace to this woman from the mouth, the lips of Christ. That's the third aspect here, the shalom cleansing. Rather than her rendering him unclean, he renders her clean. Your faith has made you well, go in peace, whole and healed. We can see here it is also the case with us, dear Christian, We are to go to Christ, surrendered and surrendering with faith and confidence and gratitude and confess. He knows. He cares. He can heal. He does and has healed us. We can't hide from Him. And nothing should stop you from running to Him again and again and again for all of your lives. For the whole of your lives those in this historical event of which we're reading, and those to whom Mark recounts it, they needed to get the fact that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment and culmination of all the uh, preparatory laws and systems that came before him. Jesus fulfilled the types. The Old Testament was a picture of and a pointer to Jesus. You guys are familiar with typology, When I was younger, my brother and I would look through uh, the Sears and Roebuck catalog. It's a toy section in the back of the catalog. Those of you who are under, I guess, 30-ish probably don't know what that is, but there was no internet. There was no Amazon. It was a book that you would get every year and had all kinds of goods in it. In the back, there was a section of toys. Me and my brother would look through this catalog. We didn't have a lot. We would examine all the toys and we would pick out and circle the ones that we wanted and we longed for them. We would yearn all year long, wishing we would get them, even one. We loved and revisited those pictures of those toys in that catalog all throughout the year. Sometimes we would fight over who got to look at the pictures. We would be careful not to wrinkle the pictures either. Our beloved toy pictures... Those those pictures were precious to our young hearts. And on a good year, come Christmas time, we might get one of those pictures, one of those toys pictured. We were overjoyed. We had the thing. All the anticipation, and the longing, was satisfied. And on that Christmas and after, how important do you think the picture of that toy was to us now that we had the actual thing that was pictured in the catalog. That beloved picture couldn't have been any less important to us now that we had the actual thing. We never looked at the picture again. Why would we? And so it is with Christ. He is the thing that is pictured. He takes His dirtying people and He washes them holy, holy, holy The horizontal considerations needs to give way to the fulfillment of the Lord. And Hebrews 8 tells us as much. The old gives way to the new as Jesus replaces the whole Old Testament system with himself. Just as Mark's original hearers needed to get that, we need to get it as well. Just who is this Jesus? And knowing that, just how are we to respond to him? We need to get that we can know the confidence and comfort and assurance of being the healed of the Lord. Know that, brothers and sisters. Know that this Jesus has cleaned you. And He cares for you. And He continues to cure you as He sanctifies you throughout your life. And He catapults you far beyond whatever dirtiness you may have brought to Him and whatever suffering you may experience in this life. Just as this broken once dirtying woman here in Mark, is healed and made whole and given the sweet shalom of the Savior. So it is with you and me, brothers and sisters. So it is with us. Surrendered souls shamelessly flee without inhibition to Christ for life. Not simply better life here in these broken bodies, free from ill health, but real, ultimate Life, not recovering until the next sickness or sign of aging, as our bodies break down, but eternal, super life without flaw, forever. Isn't that glorious? No, for certain, brothers and sisters. What far surpasses the freedom from physical ailment is the peace, the spiritual peace, shalom of having that great exchange take place between Jesus and the surrendered sinner. Jesus himself responding to the reaching out, not of the hand, but the reaching out of faith. Jesus not imparting healing through magic by a robe, but covering the broken and dirty sinner with the robe of his righteousness. You, brothers and sisters, covered and seen by the Father as He sees His Son spotless perfection. This is the life. The moment-by-moment trust and surrender before Christ that I am proclaiming to you this morning. Life in Christ. Because it is here alone where there is freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from the crippling failure and inability to measure up to the law. And freedom from the comfort of complacency. Like this woman, I pray that you will come to him in faith and that that faith will pr- produce fruit the grasping on to Christ for forgiveness, for assurance, and for comfort for your very life, for the first time and for all of your times. Our sin. Our uncleanness will not defile a holy God. Like this suffering woman, we go to Christ. And it's Christ who overwhelms us and transforms us. Not us making Him unclean. We're not too dirty to go to Him. He will not drive us away. We are to go to Him in all of our brokenness. And continue to go to Him. And it is His love and grace that overwhelms us. What love is this that the Father has lavished upon you? It is not our gross and heinous sin that defiles the Lord and keeps us from going to Him, but His perfect righteousness that renders us clean. Remember, it is no longer you who live, but Christ in you. It is His perfection that makes you clean. You are clean, restored in Christ and can come unhindered before the Father Himself. No barriers, no dividing wall. It's a glorious thing that you are included in this covering. It's a glorious thing. Continue to rest in the robe of Christ's righteousness, forgiven, secured, and loved. From all of this, who Jesus is and who we are in Him, from this we will obtain comfort and assurance and peace and joy. How could we not do so knowing these things? May we be reminded of these glorious truths this Lord's day and always. May you revel in His love and grace and mercy and peace. May you be overjoyed at who you are in Him. That His power is beyond any need of any other person or thing. He is the satisfaction of your soul. The satiation of your soul. May you live your life out of his life and glory in those sweet words. My child, go in peace. Go in peace. May we go in peace in shalom to the praise of his glory. Amen.